Hello, this is the Blast Report podcast on all things blasting. My name is Evan Tebow with New Wave Consulting, and I want to thank all the Drill and Blast teams along with those supporting them who are out there on the pattern. The production team at BlastThink and I would like to welcome you to today's episode of the Blast Report podcast. All right, well, welcome back, Paul. Glad to see you again, Evan. <laughs> so I guess today we'll be doing our very first podcast. And I uh, wanted to thank you for agreeing to do this with me. Um, kind of wanted to start out with uh, Paul Sturck's origin story. We've talked about this in the past, and you know, you've kind of shared with me a lot of things already. But it'd be nice to get this recorded and and shared shared with the the members of our community, and kind of kind of focus on some of your history in the past and how it's. In, involved with safety and how you've seen safety grow in some different aspects and some of it will be quite sobering and some of it will be very interesting. So, uh, Paul, you told me you've been in the industry 49 years now, right? Yep. 49 years this year. Okay. So that's really impressive. And, uh, we're going to make sure it stay, it goes to 50 with this podcast here. <laughs> so you were telling me you got your start in Michigan, right? Correct. And what's the story about that? I think you told me you were you were actually a commercial boat pilot. Yeah, the last uh, I graduated in uh, uh, June of '73, long time ago. And uh, that summer, I went back one more summer to be a boat pilot, a commercial boat pilot at High Royal National Park. And wow. uh, I went out there and we did commercial fishing and uh, on charters and stuff like that and all out on Lake Superior and uh, very enjoyable job but you know that doesn't go year round. <laughs> yeah you got sick of wearing the fisherman's well, choice. Well it gets cold out there. You know, yellow wasn't your color. It turns ice. So oh, I don't mind the yellow. <laughs> I, it was it was a great job to be out in the water all the time but it doesn't last and mm. uh Anyway, so in the fall, I came back and I started my uh, real job, which I was in the life insurance business for about three months. And then uh, I go, this is not going to be for me. I can tell you that. <laughs> and uh, uh, at that time, Wittard said it already. And it was very cold. Uh, and this was in Houghton, Michigan, where I was living, which is way up in the Keweenaw Peninsula. And uh, Michigan, there. in Upper Michigan, and the Keweenaw Peninsula, so way wow. up there. And uh, the only two jobs that were happening in the winter, besides uh, unemployment, <laughs> is to go in the to go into the uh, timber and become a logger, or go underground. Underground was higher in White Pine Copper, which is uh, located, and uh, actually in White Pine, Michigan, about five miles off Lake Superior, near Ontonagon, Michigan. And uh, they were hiring, and uh, and it was warm. It was gonna in the mine. It was warm compared to outside. And logging is very cold. So I said, I'm going to the mine. I've never been to the mine, and uh, and I lived uh, actually seventy some miles away. Rode the bus to the mine every day. And really? Home every night. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how many miles had, you said? 
70. 70 and, miles. Uh, wow. We had 2,400 workers there, and out of that group, uh, probably 70% traveled to uh, by bus to the mine from different parts of Upper Michigan. That's kind of uh, nice. That way you can take a nap on your way to work and on your way back. And, yeah. And so then you don't have to be responsible for being white knuckled to the terrible. Yeah, um, that's true. You know, I, I worked in Northern Canada and, um, all, and also out in B, uh, BC and they had buses for their employees, but not for the consulting consultants or the contractors who I was. So I had to drive sometimes two hours through the snow and dodge elk, you know, on the way to work. So I think a, a bus is kind of a nice deal. Yeah, it was and back then, you know, and it was, they were greyhounds too. I mean, they were nice buses and they were, uh, there was a hierarchy, of course, in the bus. If you were the young hires like we were, you had to go in the back, you know, and then we had, uh, the bus was divided up with card players. They had tables that fit between chairs in the aisle <laughs> and they played cards. And then we had a college student group that they studied on the way. And then we had the sleepers and it was kind of interesting how the, hierarchy on the bus worked you know so but that's how we got back and forth to work and and, and uh, you said um this was the place to work in that region i mean it was they had uh you know they treated their employees pretty well well reasonably but you know it was, it's always good money mining is always good money you know mm -hmm. so and that's that's the name of the game really we wanted to make some money so so I went there. In fact, a couple of us went together. We knew each other, you know, so we, we, uh, we went together. So, and then, and you didn't know anything about mining, but they put you in this 10 T program, right? That's you were telling me about. Yeah. Yeah. That started out with a 10 T pro. When I hired on, they asked if I how, if I'd like to be a, I'll be a boss. Cause I had a college degree. They were going to, yeah, I could be a boss you know, and have a whole mm -hmm. crew of men. And I go, I don't know anything about mining. Well, I don't want to do that. So I don't want to learn this job from the bottom up. So I went in with their training program. And it was a very good program. You don't see many of them like this anymore. It was 10 T it was called. And all the trainees worked in one section. They had their own, the mines divided up in all kinds of sections, working faces and stuff uh, spread out over 25 square miles. So, you know, there's a lot of room down there. Mm. And uh, we had all trainees, which before you could get out of this 10T training, you learned how to run every piece of equipment. You learned how to drill, uh, blast, uh, muck, haul. Um, you learned about brake systems and stuff like that. And it was uh, actually a physical test on the equipment and a written test. And once you passed all that, then they put you out of the labor pool. Supposedly, you could fill in for anybody that was off. But, you know, he really is good as somebody that was doing right. it full time. And, and so you were telling me that there's a uh, there's a bit of a culture clash and uh, a, a work kind of um, – there was a, a big Polish man, you said, that made sure that you, you were a fast learner, something like that? Yeah, yeah I worked for a guy named – Polak Joe, and uh, we had a number, <laughs> that was his name, and we had a bunch of Polaks there that were from the war, in World War II. They came out of the concentration camps from World War II, and uh, in 1950, they brought them over to the mine, and uh, none of them spoke English, but they knew mining very, very well, and uh, he, he brought me up to par, and a lot of stuff he knew. We couldn't talk, but we could, 
you know, kind of hand stuff back and forth, you know, try and work with our hands and point and stuff like that. And yeah, that body, language, body yeah. language speaks pretty loud when you're doing something wrong, you know? Yeah. And that was one of the first things I learned. I worked with him on an electric uh, roof boulder. We were bolting. I was a laborer. I pushed the bolts and he tightened them and, you know, drilled the holes and I changed drill steel. And, and but I learned from him that uh, in a mine, it's like that mine was very humid. You know, not as hot as you would say at a deep mine. You know, it was it was deep. I mean, we were a thousand to three thousand foot deep, but it wasn't real hot. And uh, but you were very humid. So if you saw rock bolt plates that were starting to dry up, where there was no little droplets of condensation on them, but you uh, you got it out. You got out of there. And really? I learned that one day. I was looking in the the bolts. You know, as I noticed, and Polad Joe was pointing. He's pointing and that, you know, at the plates that something was wrong, shaking his head, you know. So I went up to look at it a little closer and touch one, you know. And by the time I got up there, I turned around. He was gone. I, I could see as him going down the drift. I could see a light. So I ran, too. And uh, he, was hauling, he, was he, was, he was hauling out of there? He was hauling out of there. He thought it was coming down. So we had a number of cave-ins when I was there. So, you know, you, you, you were very careful about a lot of that stuff. Wow, and these were split sets, or what type of bolts? No, point anchors. Back in them days, it was just point anchors, and uh, it was point anchors, and uh, yeah, and they were uh, also resin bolts. We did a lot of resin bolting too, but most of the time it was on a four by four pattern, and uh, and it was interesting because uh, I finally asked years later. I said, "Where did this four by four pattern come from?" So you have to give a pattern to the to MSHA, you know, a ground control plan where you do it. And they go, well, it came from coal mining. And the coal tunnels used to be four foot wide and they put up a four foot piece of timber and bolt it. So they figured, well, if it works there, it'll work in any room in pillar mine. So that's where their pattern came from. Wow. Yeah. So, so I guess, so for our listeners here, this is, we're talking about underground copper. Um, yeah. And this is, you know, roof bolting for the support um yeah uh, of the back and it's well how tall are the how tall are the ribs uh about 18 foot there about 18 in, foot. In, a, in a high and then we had some low stuff that was around 14 foot to 12. and you could visibly see you know normal water dripping from the roof bolts which is just a normal thing and something you're saying is that you could visibly see that the the bolts would would be dry completely yeah. dry yeah wow and that would mean they're taking stress and a lot of weight, you know, and then, and with resin bolts, I only saw this happen a few times, but a resin bolt before it fails normally will, will turn red hot, cold molten. So, and when you turn your light off and all the bolts down the drift are red hot, you're going, this is not good. <laughs> and that's uh, unbelievable. Time, time to leave. That is unbelievable. Yeah. I've uh, I've worked in underground lead, underground salt, and underground limestone, and visited a few other mines. And uh, I remember the first time going to an underground limestone mine where there were no bolts. Um, and I I know that rock was competent, but it just it didn't feel right after coming from underground salt. And just it there was just something some uh, hairs on the back of my neck that were standing up walking under places that didn't have bolts, even though, you know, I, I knew this, that didn't need it, but still just a after knowing yeah. that, you know, 
Well, coming from hard rock, you know, it's it's a hard concept when you do do, do see those mines that don't need to be bolted in it. Normally, they don't. The geology is, is good enough that they don't have to be bolted. In my years since then, you know, I've seen that in more than one place. But but uh, that means that not necessarily totally unbolted. You know, they might have some special projects here and there. Now, when it comes to uh, learning from Pollock, what was it, Pollock Joe? Yeah. When it comes to learning from Pollock Joe, he was, uh, he was making sure that you were learning quickly with a crescent wrench, right? No, that was a different instructor. Oh, that was a different. <laughs> that was Polat Joe. Is I was actually out production with him. Uh, that was back in 10T, and when we were in the 10T training program, we were on the jumbo, and uh, you know there was five controls on each side, you know, to make the boom go up and down, the drill, turn the drill on, and and uh, this instructor that we had, he was a big, huge guy, a big Swede, and uh, didn't talk real well. You know, you can't hear in there anyway when the drills are running and so you would go to move the drill and touch the wrong control and if you touch the wrong control you carried this 12 inch crescent wrench and you'd whack your hands you know so and that was before we were aware of gloves i got gloves pretty soon after that but still <laughs> at the end of the first week my all my knuckles were black and blue and you know you can't do that anymore but, but you were you were a really good jumbo operator real quick. yeah you learned you learned real quick about that you know and uh <laughs> Then My the other thing had I had the same issues with the, the nuns in Catholic school. Yeah, growing yeah. Up that he wasn't the best of the Catholics, so he he always had he says that's why he shakes to this day is because he was always worried about a nun smacking him with a ruler. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so it was interesting. And the other thing that I didn't learn from this guy, I learned from a different miner, but every day before we started, he was smoking a cigarette and he'd put it out put the filter in his ear, you know, and then he'd put a filter in his other ear, you know, and I go, well, I didn't smoke, so I didn't have anything to put in my ears, you know. And I, well, I get done drilling after an eight-hour shift, you know, and I could barely see, could hear, you know, so loud because we had those big hammers, back, air hammers back in those days, you know, with no mufflers or nothing. And terribly noisy and uh, get these tremendous headaches, you know, for the first week. And we were waiting to go down the shaft in the morning one day, and I asked this old miner was sitting there. I says, man, what do you do to keep your head from hurting so bad when you're drilling? And he goes, well, you use earplugs and muffs. And I go, what are those? They never told us anything about that. And he goes, oh, go over to that little the safety place there. That guy will give you a set of earplugs, and you put those in, and you put those drilling muffs over your ears. And it'll be quiet. And it was. It was like going to heaven, man. <laughs> but they didn't tell you about safety shit when you first started. You know, they just, they didn't do that kind of stuff they back in. But, they, you know, this was 1973. Mm -hmm. Times know, have changed. Times have changed a lot. And so we didn't have a lot of that safety. Uh, there was, you know, so I've seen safety change tremendously over the years. You know, and especially when, not, not so much when I was at White Pine, but other mines. But, you know, it was an interesting mine because... We've all heard of the safety pyramid, you know, you get so many cut fingers, you get a broken finger, so many broken fingers, you get a broken leg, and all the way up until you get a fatality. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'd get these safety meetings, they'd pull 300 of us together underground this big room. They go, look left, look right. They go, one of you is going to be dead by the end of the week. And I go, what? And they go, well, we're at the top of the safety pyramid. Somebody's going to be dead by the end of the week. And... Uh, Unfortunately, that happened. It was right. They was right more times than that. In the one year there, we had four of them in a year. Wow. And, uh, you know, some people getting run over by trucks and stuff like that. And 
that was a big problem where we were there because uh, the rear axles on the trucks they had an extra set of wheels on them. So they stuck out, you know, you could stand out of the way of the truck, you know, the truck come by, but the back wheel was farther out yet, you know, to run guys over. Really? So, oh yeah. But uh, yeah. That, so was, that was that was a, um, a haul truck? Haul trucks, yeah. Haul trucks. Now, I mean, you know, people, you know, in our industry, since I've been in it, it's a little around 10 years or so, um, you know, safety has always been a high, a high priority. And I, I always tell people, you know, mining and explosives isn't even in the top 10 most dangerous industries anymore. And you, you know, you, you were in the fishing industry and that's why that TV show was called the deadliest catch because the fishing industry is number one. And then you decided between mining or logging. And I think logging is number two. So it's a, yeah. uh, you know, pretty smart move to go into, into one that's progressed significantly, um, since your inception and in, into the industry, but, uh, to, to get to a point at uh, white pine when there was four deaths in that year, I mean, that's, uh, gotta be something to, you know, um, humble you and sober you up to what kind of what kind of work you're doing right yeah it definitely does but you know but i after i got into it you know i i really after i started i really loved it i didn't realize it was in my blood and uh you know my my dad was a miner for a couple years and then he left and my grandfather was a miner and my great-grandfather and actually it goes back i'm the 19th generation our family to mine get out of here no, my son is the twentieth. So, how did yeah, you my, find that out with one of those my, my, generation? My one grandfather was a genealogy guy, and he followed it. He traced it all the way back on his side of the family to Cornwall in sixteen oh four. That's where the records stopped. Uh, the church burned down because the church used to keep the records. Wow. So anything up to sixteen oh four was lost. So. Yeah, so it's in my blood, you know, so I love love mining, still do, you know. You know what, Paul, that explains a hell of a lot. <laughs> that explains a hell of a lot. Wow. 20th generation. Well, that's my son, yeah. Yep, yep, and we all know him well. I think a lot of people have met him through the conferences, and so it's uh, the Sterk name is good at digging holes and blasting. Yeah, now, that's when you when you became um, you know an active miner and realized that this is something you wanted to do, how did you know you you say you went from no earplugs to to earplugs and things like that? How did it work with you know drilling at the face and loading explosives? You know, did I've heard stories of people having a cartoon amount of cigarette ash? as they leaned over one of their magazines when they forgot the, the key to the, to the lock underground, they, they climbed over the wall, you know, into it, into the magazine. And the guy had a cartoon amount of cigarette ash hanging over, but you know, just cause he forgot a few detonators, he had, had to go back into the magazine. So is there some, um, some situations where that was, was, uh, something that you, you know, witnessed and had to deal with? Uh, yeah, sometimes, uh, in our, in our, uh, on our info loader truck, you know, we had a truck, uh, the blasting rig 
And uh, we kept uh, info in like a 50-gallon drum cut in half. And then went in and we hand-loaded into a loader by holes before they have the one where you can just continuously load. And anyway, we were waiting to load a heading one day. And it was weird and it had our lights turned out, you know, and sitting there. And uh, I seen a glow up there. And my partner was smoking a cigarette on, on the powder truck. Cool. And, uh, then I watched him put it out in the barrel and my heart stops, you know, and he goes, Oh, don't worry about this. You know, we use it and you take some of this, you put water with it and you, you know, get your soda nice and cold. And he goes, but well, it's not going to explode. We don't have any detonator here. It's just a cigarette. And he puts it out in there, you know? So, you know, you used to see stuff like that, you know? And, uh, I always remember once again, as you progressed to become a minor one and did stuff like that, you know? Um, I was with a guy that was taking this minor one test and one of the things you had to do is load a heading. So we loaded the heading and we got done and the, the guy that, uh, the inspector or whatever, you know, the teacher that signs you off, he was standing there. First thing that kid did was pull a cigarette out and light it after he was all done with the heading. And the guy goes, you know, that's pretty dangerous for your health. And he goes, yeah, I know. I know. He said, I should quit. I'll get lung cancer one of these days, but. Not not even thinking it'd have anything to do with, you know, the round going off. The <laughs> yeah, Needless to say, that was the dangerous pass. part of your health, you know. Yeah. Needless to say, he didn't pass. So uh, I, I went and uh, visited a pattern once, and um, it was my first time visiting the pattern and at this uh, location. And there was a construction job, and uh, somebody an inspector that had nothing to do with the blasting program just happened to walk up maybe it was with the highway i don't i don't know but i kind of walked up at the same time from a different direction as this um, inspector did and we started talking and in the middle of the conversation um one of the the blasters sitting on the pattern just lights up the cigarette and i'm like I'm sitting here thinking maybe they're messing with me. You know, these guys are, they're fucking with me just cause it's my first time at the, on the pattern and I haven't, you know, ever been there before. And they're just, they're just pulling my leg, you know? And so I kind of look at him and I look at the inspector, look back at him and I'm sitting here going like, this guy's not joking, you know? So I was like, uh, you know, so as soon as they, finished the conversation i was like man you better put that shit out like what are you doing he's like what what are you talking about he's like that's not gonna set any of this off and i was like i don't even care about that right now you know like i know you're you're operating electronic detonators and everything's already been stemmed but you know let's not get let's not get ourselves in trouble and get bad practices so that someone does start doing things that they shouldn't be doing you know yeah it was, uh, and that was not that long ago, you know, so it's all that kind of the mentality between it, right? Mentality and training and retraining and retraining and retraining, you know, and back in the old days, I think there was a lot of not enough training, you know, there was training when you learn how to do everything, but not necessarily with safety practices, you know, Until you like, the first the day, way. like I think I told you about the first day I went underground. Uh, we went down into the mine. It was about a five-mile ride in, and we went down the slope and back in. And they stopped. We went through this steel set place, and it was it was kind of messed up on one side. They got everybody out, and the guy goes, "Come here." And he says, "Look at all this blood on this steel. That's what happens to you if you drive your loader the wrong direction and you hit a steel beam." He said, "Don't ever do that." 
So, you know, everybody's going, whoa, <laughs> get, get back in the thing and head down into the mine, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was like, in those days, you know, they talked a lot, but they, they didn't seem to, we seemed just to, you know, it was all about production. You know, mm-hmm. we were all, in them days, you know, versus today, it's all about safety, then production. Back then, it was all about production and then safety. And, uh, you know, we were young and dumb and figured we'd get away with a lot of it, you know. So, and, uh, but there was, uh, and this mine was so big, you know, like I said, we had a number of fatalities while I was there. And uh, it's always something in the back of your mind, you know, where a guy get crushed or something, you know. Absolutely. Now, did you, did you look at it from a point of view to where you were just kind of a number at this large mine or did you kind of you know what was the how did how did it come down from management i know you said it was mainly production first so but was there a certain were there certain times where you had to make the conscious decision to to say no i'm not going to do this oh yeah yeah we would do that now and then if we because uh, we had safety, you know, I mean, I mean, we had, we were a union operation, so we had safety union guys. And if you didn't want to go in ahead, he didn't feel safe. You know, the boss said, you're going in there. And he said, no, we ain't. Mm-hmm. We called the union guy and then they'd come. And, and that's one thing about miners. They know how to, how to make, how to make or break anything. You know, we could slow the bolting machine down. So you'd be lucky to get a bolt and a shift, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> that and, is, uh, that's very true, especially underground. Oh yeah. Especially, especially underground. underground. And, I know one time, uh, this was in an unsuch shale formation where we were at. And uh, I don't know if my partner, I wasn't with Pola Joe that day, I was with somebody else. If he was tired, he, he didn't want to go in there's place anyway and work. So we, it was actually also in oil shale. So we had, in places in the mine, we had oil dripping out of the back. And, uh, you know, being young miners, we used to light it on fire and make paraffin. <laughs> you can make paraffin. So, that day we lit the lit the back on fire just a little bit, you know, where it was dripping oil and got it burning. Oh, just a little the, bit. Called the safety man. We ain't going in here. The back's on fire. You know? <laughs> what do you mean the back's on fire? Well, I don't know. It's burning. Come look, you know. So they came and then we had to get a hose and wet everything down, put the fire out, you know. But then uh, we still because we felt the ground was, you know. And I listened to a lot of guys because I hadn't worked there as long and they knew a lot more about. Uh, you know, the ground than I did. I was still learning about ground and geology at that point, you know, before I went back to school. So, and like I say, and some jobs were, you know, back then were acceptable. Um, like I, I, in my unit, I was a driller blaster, but I also took on the extra job when they needed it. I was a, I was a, a misfire driller. And I got two job classes more, you know, 60 cents an hour or something to go drill misfires. Wow. And, uh, and I didn't know at that time that that's a really dangerous thing to do, you know, but nobody had ever told me. You just they, you got more money. So. Yeah, I went in there with the boss, and the boss would line me up on the hole, and he'd be down there pulling on the electric wires, you know, and then I'd be trying to wash the hole out, you know, and then every now and then I'd bump the wrong control, and the hammer would come on, and, you know, he'd start waving and jumping, you know, <laughs> turn the hammer off, turn the hammer off, you know, and... Uh, but you know as well as I do what a dangerous practice that is. Absolutely. Uh, it was very acceptable. Yeah, well, one of the things that I'm focusing on with my company is to do misfire training and to get more knowledge shared on that subject, you know, because it's quite 
a shame like there's a lot of shame associated with that and a lot of uh, a lot of conversation doesn't happen after it happens um until it goes to court or someone's being threatened with going to court um or until someone is hurt right so that's a big focus i have and that's quite interesting that there they used to pay you extra money to go deal with it to be the one who was you know the one to go deal with it I, i i remember i had a misfire once and we um we were digging through this trench line and uh we had um well the product that we had misfired and we found someone who who would dig it uh it was three miles of misfire um sporadic not entirely sure where the misfires were so we had to continue to dig the trench line and we had equipped the loader um or the hoe with bulletproof uh glass and everything and 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 prepared it but the operator himself was quite a loon and he was kind of wanting to hit it he kept he kept saying well i got this bulletproof i you know glass and everything in these bars let's i want to see this rock my world and i just kept telling him you are one crazy son of a bitch you know to, to, you have no idea what this is going to do you know especially if this is not just a, a detonator and it's not just a booster if there's still some product in the hole you know and uh so it's it's weird he got paid extra too to keep digging at that but it's um it's quite uh you know we try, definitely have to educate somebody on what they're getting into when you're around a misfire but some yeah. people some people they they just see a little bit more money and not entirely sure what they're signing up for right and yeah well and you know it's it's uh it's different on the surface too than it is with underground you know i, I always feel that underground being underground all my life but underground miners are very proud of their work and that's why you don't hear about a lot of misfire because it's dark and it's a big place and they can cover it up they can fix it you know most of them know how to fix it you know and if they don't that's when they need to you you need to report it anyway because you need to know what's going on because from a powder company point of view they want to know if it's a product failure you know but also but it's educating the people what to do you know whether it's wash it out or that but you know it needs to be reported you don't hear do that because you know that's that's just a pride thing you know and and it's not so much on the surface i don't think because it's real obvious when you have a misfire everybody in the world sees it you don't see that in the underground that's uh, very true yeah it all goes back to training and education so well thank you very much yeah i really uh that's a very good subject and i think we could probably have another episode or four on misfires alone um you know and how to handle that that's uh something that's quite faux pas in the industry and something we should probably return to but uh thank you again for coming on and um let's uh say this is episode one so thank you thank you very much paul and thank you to all of our listeners um you know i really appreciate you guys coming out here and um and uh, I want to thank the team at Blasting for producing this show. And please follow along for more episodes in the future and share this podcast with your colleagues so we can continue to honor the industry and, you know, and the people in it. So, And if you want to contribute, just let Evan know or myself and 
we'll put you in the podcast because everybody's got good safety shares and stories about what has happened in mining in the blasting industry so absolutely all right thank you very much have a good one be safe yeah okay you too now be safe